Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's podcast, where we will be discussing how best to fail at game development. So, and uh, my co-host today will be uh, Chris Payne. Hello, nice to be here. Hello, Chris. Good to see you. So, everyone, the concept for uh, this episode is we're going to try and we're going to try and do a bit of a, a a, a reversal. We're going to try and go through each level of game development and, and come up with the things that you can do best to, to fail at, at each level. So it's sort of a so, so if you can know what, what the largest sort of um, obstacles are and some of the, the, the most dangerous mistakes, hopefully you should be able to avoid them in future. Um, so, so that's, that's the, the concept. Uh, I've I've split this up into the the, uh, the the game concept, so that is that is before the game is actually started, um, the development cycle, so that's when you're actually making the game, the 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 publishing and the going live of the game, and the uh, follow up, so what to do after your game has has gone live, okay, and we will discuss each of these in in detail. Does that make sense, Chris? Yeah, sounds fine to me. Okay, and and seeing as, as you, Chris, you have actually been through the entire process from from beginning to to end in in different in different capacities, you really are going to be uh, <laughs> a wealth of wealth of knowledge here. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it's an interesting one. I've, I've worked on an awful lot of games, some of which. Uh, many of which were very successful, some of which never even saw the light of day. So that there's, there's um, um, uh, and at least, and some of which uh, were released but weren't big hits. So that there's, I've got a variety of experiences to draw from. Okay, fantastic. All right, so we're going to start with um, the game concept. So this is where where you've got to actually decide what game you're going to actually end up making. Now, uh, this is... So, so Chris, if you really wanted to really mess this up, what, what, what mistake would you make? What, what was the... the what common, common mistakes do you think ail people? Uh, I think probably the most common mistake is to try to make a game that is basically just like your favourite game. Um, so you're making something that already exists and you're, and if you fail to differentiate that from all the stuff that's already out there, then people have no reason to, uh, to buy it. Um, if you, if you want to make up like a pixel platformer, for example, there, there are hundreds of those, uh, on steam. Um, some of them, the best ones, all stand out for doing something um, unique, either having sort of like something unique about the art or something unique about the gameplay uh, or some gimmick that makes them a little bit different. But there are an awful lot that are just pixel platformers uh, and, and don't seem to have anything unusual. And I think that's a, that makes it a very difficult sell. Because then you're basically trying to sell something that is very similar to stuff that's already out there. See, th this is interesting because this is sort of 
kind of and, and not directly the opposite of what my first thoughts were. And because my first thoughts was uh, is make something that, that nobody wants. So basically, it, it, you've got if you were to because the basic the core thing about the game concept is, is is this is what's going to be you you want to, to read the market you, you want to know sort of supply and demand what, what isn't there enough of and what will people what what will people buy because you you're making a huge gamble at this point of does anybody want this game and are they going to be willing to split with cash in order to to hand it to you um and so i i've creating a game that nobody wants or what yours is is creating the game that people already have or, or and, yes, sort of, that, and better that's <laughs> that's a better way of phrasing it yeah it's sort of like because it's so yeah i always see this as a straight up marketing sort of supply and demand is mm -hmm. is there enough supply of these things and is there enough enough demand? The one corollary to that that I would uh, add is that because this is a creative field, um, it's not your classic um, supply and demand situation of oh, identifying a need that you can fulfill. Because at the end of the day, uh, nobody particularly needs video games, but they want them because people like to be entertained and like they enjoy those experiences. So it's not so much trying to um the risk of creating someone that no one wants is uh, to, to a certain extent you do want to create something that people don't know that they want but then you've got to explain to them why they do want it mm. so yes. ideally you want to present something with people with something that they've never seen before so it feels like new and fresh and then tell you know tell them exactly why it's going to be worth their time so there are um there are a few examples of games that are um that have a usp that really makes them uh unique and appealing and without that usp they would be a lot more bland um sorry unique selling point um for people not familiar with the marketing yeah jargon. i think i think I, I almost feel like just by using unique selling point, you sort of hit on it. If you want to do one thing in order to to fail in the concept stage of a computer game, it's have no USP. Is yeah. is, is and what I, I think is interesting is, is is kind of what is needed by USP because when you were saying creating a game that creating a game that is already you don't want to create a game that's already out there. There is kind of actually a, uh, I mean, if you think of the Fast and the Furious uh, sort of film franchise or any of these ones where it's basically the same film like over and over and over again, there is this concept of, I actually had it in the makeup of, of newness, of like yeah. all you need, it's people will like burn through games and then they will go out and, buy something incredibly similar like I, I for my sins i love um tower defense games and i i, I will just there's there's one there's a mobile tower defense one i've forgotten what it's called but i will buy every one they do 
and it is fundamentally exactly the same game over and over again with yeah. slightly different skins slightly different towers slightly different and that is enough to get me to part with two or three pounds as yeah. um and all i need is a little bit of difference to to, to sort of maintain my interest so it's that's a good that's a good point though because that sounds like um you are part of their existing audience so they are selling you basically a slight upgrade to a familiar experience mm. which is a slightly different proposition to finding a new audience yeah um and i think that if you've got an established audience that is a bit of an easier sell this is why uh the big um students publishers uh, like ea and ubisoft uh, and so on are uh, focused on creating uh, big franchises uh, once they've cre once you've created uh, a call of duty or an assassin's creed um, you can keep producing games as part of that franchise and you are basically taking an existing market and then selling something that is slightly tweaked um to the same uh, to the same customers uh, and that's very different to finding an, a completely new market so the original assassin's creed is it was is a more interesting example because they were creating a an ip from scratch with that um and it wasn't you could argue that it wasn't really until the second game that it actually found its feet mm. because the, the the first game had a slightly weaker storyline and some of the mechanics weren't quite as well developed um the like a lot of the core um I don't think the, a lot of the dna was there yeah um, <laughs> no pun intended but uh it's it, it didn't really come together until the second story when they they knew what they were making and they could make the storyline really sing mm yeah it's kind of i think it's a difficult i think you can definitely i think this is one of the things i suppose at the concept phase i mean the the main thing that you could that you could do to fail is almost commit to a game concept without finding anyone who is excited about your usp yeah i guess so i mean that that would that would be similar to not having a usp at all i guess yeah but i mean if it, it the, the, i think that's the thing is is if you come up with a usp because you can mm -hmm. come up with lots and lots of usps that's and true you can't communicate it to somebody and they can't go it's like i could do uh uh mario but with uh oh god everything's been done um <laughs> uh welsh people <laughs> i mean that would <laughs> interesting you should mention that we'll come back to that later uh, i will i mean i've got uh, a good example is um uh dark souls um uh, essentially like that all of the souls like um games are basically sort of like action rpgs um there are a lot of action rpgs the thing that makes the souls games stand out is the punishing difficulty and the way that the 
um, that difficulty is baked into the game design so that even saving your game has a risk reward element associated with it. That is an interesting USP. It's not one that I would have thought would be a big draw, to be honest, but it turns out it's huge. People really love it because we were in a, um, a phase where mo a lot of games had become kind of um, hard to fail at because it would auto save your progress at uh, every 30 seconds or so and you wouldn't you never really lost any progress and if you kept plugging away you would you would get through it and we'd kind of moved away from that kind of um, game design that was driven by the coin op model where it was punishing difficulty that was designed to make you sort of like fail repeatedly but feel like you could get through so you would keep putting coins in the machine mm. um and the in in the modern context the souls games basically by being really really tough uh they've created this kind of like badge of honor thing you know i i can't play them uh that i just don't have the the patience or the um reactions to to get uh, uh, through those games uh, properly i'm fascinated by the law i mean don't get me wrong there are lots of other elements of the souls games that are absolutely top notch um like the the storylines uh, the the world the, the whole design of the the world and the uh, bosses um is fantastic uh the art is really uh nicely done the implementation in places there's a few bits are a little bit um, clunky compared to some AAA games but the overall experience because the art is good, the bosses are good the gameplay is really solid it it's, creates a, an overall package that people really, really enjoy mm. No, the, 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 the Dark Souls would be a very hard sell yeah. it's like a game but just horrible <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, I mean, I yeah, I, I actually I I only played through. I think it was Dark Souls. I think I played Dark Souls one, Dark Souls two. But even the lore is kind of like punishingly horrible at that. They they don't tell you the lore. I had to watch um, uh, Prepare to Cry. I think the, that YouTube channel, which was to just to just understand it. And so the the theme, just yeah. nothing is easy in that game. They Absolutely, anything. It rewards constant sort of like pushing and pushing and pushing and trying really hard for every crumb of progress um mm. and again like that is a usp that you wouldn't expect to be appealing but it is yeah I, I, uh, I, you know and, and they've done brilliantly and rightly so yeah. it's an incredible it's almost it feels like proper art to me Okay. You could make a similar argument for other games in similar genres, like, um, sorry, in completely different genres, rather, uh, like Celeste, which is a pixel platformer that kind of takes that Souls-like difficulty and makes that part of the challenge. Mm. Um, and that, But that's themed around sort of like uh, mental health and uh, just sort of like constantly sort of like trying until you overcome problems. The But it's but it's also got the accessibility features where you can adjust the challenge to suit yourself and, and customize it, which makes it 
more accessible, mm. um, which is quite a good balance. And it is, and then, yeah. So at concept scale, if we were going to say there's, if you wanted to fail at this, really, 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 if you wanted to fail, what's the one thing you must do? Then, Carol, Chris. <laughs> uh, well, I think there, there's a lot of different ways that you could fail. Um, so, like, arguably, one way would be to basically clone an existing game. Uh, essentially, you know, make make your own pixel platformer, but it's no different to anybody else's. It doesn't do anything special. It doesn't look special. Um, it making a game that is just subpar to an existing game in every way uh, is a pretty good um, yeah. uh, guarantee. Um, but then there's obviously those side things of making something that nobody wants at all because it's just so weird and 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 different. I think that's actually harder because you know we've there are some quite unlikely success stories such as like Power Wash Simulator. Mm. Um, again, not something that you would think that people were excited by, but people really do like it. Um, uh, it's kind of like a satisfying process of sort of like yes, I have completed cleaning something. <laughs> the thing about the thing about concept is it can be saved by execution. Yeah, it can yeah. really if you and and so even a bad concept if you if you pivot you play well and you make a brilliant like if you created just a complete copy of another game but it was done incredibly well you probably still make a profit and you probably sell a hell of a lot just because it's done so well not I mean, well that that can happen there is a risk that even if you execute something really well if the concept isn't there what you end up with is uh, an unsung uh, classic that people look back on after the fact as actually being sort of like a really good game, it turns out. But if people weren't aware of it at the time and it didn't sell, it's still a commercial failure. So it's, it's overshadowed. It's killed, mm. in the, it's killed in the marketing because it doesn't stand out. Yeah. Okay, cool. Right, let's move on to the development cycle then. So... Um, I think this is where ninety percent of games die, in in my experience. Yeah, um, they never make it across across the uh, the finishing line to the to the to the publishing. So I, I think if you wanna if you wanna mess this up, there's there's that's kind of the default. So this should be a very straightforward. Um, what so what would you think the most common um, the most common causes of failure are at the, de uh, at the development cycle. I guess the most common one is basically just failing to finish uh, mm. because it's it's really hard to make video games. Uh, so just getting it finished and uh, released is um, a substantial challenge. So to dig deeper into that, mm. I would argue that that is um, a uh, a misunderstanding of the scope, misunderstanding of the the amount of uh, work required. Yeah, Every, I mean, I, I've gone into projects and I've seen lots of other people go into projects really quite uh, starry eyed at the beginning mm -hmm. and um, not anticipating the, the 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 sheer grit and grind required to to make something across the. So I think 
and the, the problem is, is as well especially if you're looking for funding and you're trying to get other people in and stuff like that there is a there is a a, a push to obfuscate the 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 pure the required workload um yeah so and and that means you either don't have funding you either burn out you don't have the people you don't anticipate the the amount of revisions that need doing or in testing and mm. the and um but apart from so apart from not understanding the scope are there any other sort of uh, common common ways to fail at the development stage well that's the other thing is that there's a whole plethora of ways to get the development wrong that could result in uh, an unpopular game uh, so assuming that you've you've actually managed to finish the game in the first place and ship it um, the potential issues that you could st ship with is subpar performance uh, probably the most uh, common one uh, where your game is just not optimized enough and it's not, makes and that gets in the way of the fun um, uh, and then probably the next one down would be uh, poor AI, because that is very hard to get right. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's lots of different elements of the game play and, and a game that could individually uh, make it feel not fun. So you could you could make a game that had um, subpar artwork, uh, for example, and therefore like it's just not going to catch anybody's. Um, anybody's interest if it doesn't look attractive um i think that's probably one of the key ones because sadly people do make a judgment based on the look of a game more than the sound of a game uh based on the on the trailer for example it's the easiest way to evaluate whether it's the sort of game that you would enjoy yeah. um, and if the art isn't very good people won't uh, won't play it um but yeah th things that can go wrong AI being bad. I mean, just buggy. I mean, it could be, it could crash a lot. For example, that would turn people off. Um, and that's a challenge even for AAA developers. Cyberpunk struggled a bit with with being um, buggy and crashy at launch. Um, I guess you could argue that that ties into underestimating the amount of work as well. If you're just too ambitious and you're trying to do too much stuff, then you're introducing more ways for the game to fail. If you choose a game that is very, very simple and focused and does one thing really well, you've only got that one thing to worry about and you can, you can make a really good, um, uh, really good uh, game in that narrow genre. The more stuff that you put in, the, the more you have to worry about. I don't know if this is a concept, but I, I kind of feel like the games that I've seen recently that, that have sort of succeeded in my head, and especially in the smaller, they're the, they're the ones that have um, a, a sort of primary game loop, which is very well defined and very well done, and then just sort of polish placed on top of it. When, I mean, Cyberpunk is an interesting one because it, it is such a huge thing and, and it got a lot of PR for being a failure. However, 
I mean, the sales were still very, very good. The problem there was the scope, much like kind of No Man's Sky, I sort of feel like the promise was so huge that the, um, and it was sold and hyped off the back of it, that when they actually delivered the game and the game not only didn't live up to the hype, but the primary game loop, I'm not so sure. I mean, I didn't enjoy No Man's Sky. I mean, it may. I think they've they've revised it and they brought themselves quite back back quite a bit. Mm-hmm. A huge but that to me was I was felt very cheated by because the the hype around No Man's Sky was just astronomical, and then the primary game loop was tedious. I, I found. Did you play it? Um, I did play it. I think the the. The thing with No Man's Sky is that the the core game loop um, worked, but I think what made it made it feel a bit uh, boring was that at launch uh, there wasn't a lot of um, uh, wrapper context for that core game loop. So you were um, gathering resources, making things, and so on, but you didn't have enough. Uh, stuff to explore and stuff to unlock using the the tools that you were you were making you could fly to another planet and find more resources but it was just more resources um and all of the stuff that they've added since launch has added that context so you've got a kind of like uh, a narrative that you can unlock with um um ancient alien artifacts and so on and they've added more interesting things to encounter derelict spaceships all sorts of um, I can't even remember all of the ridiculous things that they've added to No Man's Sky since launch. Um, uh, but that's that's an unusual example of a game that was considered subpar at launch. But I think everybody um, agrees that the, um, the current version um, is actually a very good offering and the community have been well served by hello games uh in terms of like supporting them with loads and loads of free content and um improving the uh the gameplay mm. yeah no they, they really did stick with it which is it's quite a redemption story in a way it is, yeah. I mean, it's i kind of hope i mean i haven't played cyberpunk and i still think it looks like it's a pretty superb game I, I, it sounds like it wasn't what it what it wanted to be though, because after The Witcher was so good, it, The Witcher was a real jump to me from the previous previous mm-hmm. games that I played. It was, and so I'm expecting that kind of jump. Where what I'm feeling it's a bit more is just a basically around where The Witcher left off, a bit more in a different setting and a different concept, and uh, a little bit more. Um, a little bit more newer tech is mm. uh, that's, yeah yeah i mean i i played cyberpunk uh, at least like the early stage of the game um it is it is well written uh there, there's certainly um plenty of interesting story in there i think the key difference with cyberpunk is that the change of setting makes it much more um dense and because of the genre it is an assault on the senses there's a lot going on it's really uh content rich all packed into a 
a city basically um so uh and because also it's um a bit of a deviation from uh, more established genres because Witcher 3 um design wise uh it's quite traditional in terms of being an open world game with a whole bunch of stuff on the map that you can discover um cyberpunk is uh, a bit less sprawling everything's much more close together and that has and you've got uh, they've tried to give you a lot more variety of things that you can do and upgrade and uh, stuff like that so uh, the structure is broadly similar but because everything's packed closer together um it does it presents a bunch of technical challenges that uh that were i mean not that witcher 3 overcame its technical challenges uh really well uh i think possibly they they just tried to uh take on too many new technical challenges in cyberpunk <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good ex example of a, a game that was like no man's sky um it was a very very high level of hype it was a little bit underwhelming at launch but i think um as far as i'm concerned like the, they patched out most of the critical bugs and when i played it it was which was a couple of patches in mm. it was pretty solid i had like, the only bugs i noticed were cosmetic ones yeah i just can't wait until i got some actual time to play that one <laughs> but i mean I, I suppose these are bad examples because um most of the the problems people will be encountering uh, won't be um the same ones of uh sort of as um uh Project Red, I think they're called, aren't they? As, yeah. uh, so we, we're looking at uh, uh, probably. I I I think in development, uh, the core the core way to fail is to to have um, too much is is just to be too ambitious and just and to not understand. One. The, yeah. the, the, I think if you're producing or if you're a, an indie or something like that. It, it, and I suppose this comes back down to the concept that it, it you are going to have to know what to cut. You're going to have to know. You, yeah. you almost have to time box. You have to reduce, and you have to get your, your core game loop right. And you have to to, to to just everything that is unnecessary move it to like the polish phase. I always think of that. And once you've got the core game, and you can go, okay, I could push this out the door. It would look bad, but it's done. Then you can just spend your time. Everything else becomes polish. Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one there because um, I mean, I'm currently working on a project uh, where we have had all of the core mechanics in uh, for some time, but they haven't been polished, and as a result, the whole game doesn't feel right because the core loop doesn't have that level of polish that would elevate it from um busy work just just stuff to do but you don't know why you're doing it it's not satisfying to do uh and so on you need that level of polish uh to make that core loop feel satisfying and every action that you take in the game needs to uh feel good so people need to want to play it um so you do need to kind of polish that vertical slice so that your um 
your your core offering is is really good. Yeah, I suppose that's an interesting one. So if you were to look in, because it's a question of what falls into what category, if you were to look into development, I suppose one of the other huge failures, way of failing, is to not test and uh, refine. Mm. The, because, uh, yeah, so if you don't, because I, I think it's, to, to not use a test, I, I, I suppose, or I mean, in a lot of cases, you would understand yourself, but if you want really good games, have tons of people in playing them, and then it has the, the game loop refined before yeah. publishing it, is, I, and I think that's probably what a successful game does, if it gets over the, mm -hmm. the mark through development if it actually ends up being finished like not getting your scope right will mean you don't finish you burn out yeah. um, getting over the getting over the mark and getting published the thing that will make it a success after publishing it is the amount of testing and, and refining to, to make sure it's actually fun is yeah that's yeah. a good one actually because the um i guess you could say that another common way to fail is to not test that other people see the game the same way that you do mm. during development because uh, again for example a game i'm working on i know what i'm trying to make so uh when i play it i am kind of mentally filling in the blanks i understand the context of everything that's in the game why it's in there, what it's the, supposed to do, the way that it's supposed to make uh, make me feel, um, and the satisfaction that I'm supposed to get from doing certain things. But if um, if people who are unfamiliar with with the big picture play it and they don't get that feeling, then I have failed to uh, communicate, you know, what what is good about this game. Um, and that is really difficult to do without just getting strangers to play the game and tell you what they think, uh, which is why, like, in bigger studios, that will be focus testing. Um, put the game in front of people who've never seen it before and find out what they think of it. And you very quickly pick up whether the game uh, fails to teach them something important. If, you know, if they if there's any sort of confusion or they don't understand um, what they're supposed to be doing, then it won't be enjoyable for them. Hmm. Um, so, and that, that is deceptively um, difficult to accomplish because when you're making a game, you know everything about it. And it's very hard to put yourself in the position of a player who doesn't know the game and imagine uh, what you need to tell the player in the opening stages. This is why um, onboarding um, is the process of get, bringing a new player from completely unfamiliar with your game to um, a fan of your game, basically. Uh, that, uh, that is a difficult process to get just right. And But if you can do it, then... Cause, at the end of the day, a successful game is going to turn people from oblivious, not interested at all, to 
um, hardcore fans of the game. And that is a process that begins with marketing and then carries all the way through to the process of once they bought the game and then when they bought the game they you need to continue impressing them that they bought a good game and that they want to play it and they want to share it with their friends and that's how you get a hit yeah no totally that makes sense it is yeah and you talk i mean if you haven't had the other thing is, is you've got a sense of ego with it as well once you've spent so long doing it if somebody yeah. comes in and just just like <laughs> then it's sort of like sitting there and it's hard to take it's almost when in that case is cold heartless corporations uh, uh do better than the small creatives because they just care about the selling the thing so so they're much more willing to pivot and and throw away pieces of art where someone who spent the last year slaving away over their beautiful well, <laughs> is going to be <laughs> well the other thing is for big corporations any particular change is uh, a lot more trivial in the big scheme of things yeah. um, so it's not that big a deal for a big corporation to say sort of like we need to redo the tutorial um, because that's just a small part of the game. It requires a lot of attention. Um, but in the big scheme of things, it, it's it's a, uh, only a fraction of the total uh, budget is spent on the tutorial. Yeah. Whereas for indies, uh, redoing the tutorial could uh, basically like take your entire team um, a couple of months to, to sort of like reimagine and polish. So, and that's a much bigger hit um, for a small team. Especially if you, that would have been spent on, on what's the entire marketing budget for you? It's all triage because like, you, you're constantly having ideas about what things that you could put in the game, things that you could add to the game that would make it cool. Um, and you've got to make choices about which of those things are going to go in the game and which of those things are going to just be set aside as a feature for the sequel or something like that just because you can't put everything that you think of in the game mm. okay so let's talk about publishing so how can you fail at the publishing of a game so you've got the game made and that that's all set and now you've got a question of you're actually going to release it and you're going to get it out there and try and actually physically sell it. Yeah. So for a start, and I know because I've done this, if you just push a game out onto Steam, it will die. Um, there, there, used, there was a time maybe when Steam had a small enough number of games and a large enough audience that you could shove a game out and it would find a small audience just um, naturally, but not nowadays. Far, far too much noise out there. You need people to be aware of your game, otherwise they just won't buy it. Mm. Um, fundamentally, they've got to find it on the store. Um, the most, most of the stores have some sort of discoverability tools. But honestly, not that many gamers spend a lot of time browsing the stores looking for new experiences. 
uh, they'll be looking at their <coughs> favourite website. They'll be looking. They'll be watching Nintendo Direct. They'll be watching uh, the big shows to find out what what's new and what they should be getting excited about. So, marketing is all about getting your game uh, where those eyeballs are already directed. Mm. Um, so it's getting in. It's getting an audience. So, so the, the first way is having no plan. To, to attract an audience beyond just publishing yeah. it. Yeah, that so would work. You, you mean, and yeah, hopefully that this is something that you've, uh, it was, I mean, I, I would say this almost a game concept thing. If you have no, no route to an audience, I mean, some people go through publishers, some people go through a, or you might have an IP, which is as a built-in audience, or you, you might have a list from other, from other work, we're working with somebody who's already got a very big list on a on a specific niche. Um, yeah, not not a good niche to be honest. Not one that I actually think overlaps with games too well. But okay, who knows? Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out. Um, it's so yeah. So so I, I think the thing the thing that can go wrong is nobody sees your game, or the people who who want to see your game don't see it. Yes. So, and that comes down to marketing, and that's a, a huge challenge for indie game devs. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that's built into. I've always thought I spent a lot of time in marketing, and a lot of that is a good product is easy to market. A mm -hmm. terrible product, you are just you're just um, wasting money. It just like I, I marketed things that all you needed to do was tell people that it was there and, and it just flew off the shelf. And then everyone was like, there, there are games which are so good that um, you, you tell a few people and then it, it just goes viral. And yeah. I mean, uh, <coughs> I can't think of that. I guess any examples now, the only one that is, what was the one where you have to stab each other? Oh, the, that, uh, alien. Yeah, um, can you talk? Uh, pardon? Nidhogg? I was thinking of the Among Us. Is it... Oh, Among Us. Okay. Yeah, I think that was... But um, there are there are a lot of games that do that, and a lot of smaller games, which which I think if your concept is brilliant, you it really can you can you can really build out something like that. But um, and you, you're delivering everything else is right, then you may find an audience without having to do much marketing, but the chances are against you. I'm going to um, point out, though, that Among Us was out for two years before it became a huge hit. So that was almost accidental marketing because it got picked up by uh, a very popular YouTuber, if I remember correctly. Um, and suddenly it it went everywhere because people saw that one YouTuber playing it and they wanted to um, play it too. So a whole bunch of YouTubers all started playing it because... So I think it's a, it, that is a case of um, a good game that didn't find its audience um, until some time after it was launched. Um, yeah. And so that's a good example of initially failed marketing, but it but it managed it eventually. Um, but that was almost accidental, I think. Hmm. Uh, yeah, um, I think. 
there was so yeah so the main main way of failing at that point is no plan to market no 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 marketing plan at all just just yeah. do nothing just put it on you, you can fail really easily just just do nothing just yeah. put it on the store and it'll fail um there is one other thing that i think is a, a common mistake um and one that i was watching a ddc talk on on marketing and i, and I don't know if you agree with this so much but it, um it was shown that if people go to a steam page and they cannot relatively immediately figure out what the game is, yeah. then they will move on. And in, in all marketing, if you have any difficulty trying to establish what type of game it is and stuff like that, it's going to be you, you've you that's almost like one of the first things you've got to tell people is yes. um, so that's that's an interesting one. Um, my failed example, um, uh, game that I wrote uh, as a little side project, um, uh, I pushed it out with no marketing, which was a, a first um, fail um, because I was trying to like get it in for an awards deadline, which was just bad, bad strategy. So, uh, so that was the first mistake. But the second mistake was that that game itself was so different to any other game it didn't it doesn't obviously fit in a genre it was so quirky that people even after watching the trailer aren't sure what it is um which is why i put a demo out there but that's even more friction you have to actually download the demo in order to try it and see whether it's something that you like or not that is an awful lot of friction in between hearing about it and becoming a fan hmm. so that i think is why um that game uh didn't work i think um arguably my trailer does not do a good job of communicating uh what the what the game is um so that that's a that's a tricky one i mean there's a lot of ways to to get your trailer wrong um but ultimately it's it's failing to communicate that or failing to communicate it quickly enough because the more common thing that i see wrong with trailers is where uh small indies will put out a trailer that opens with their logo and then maybe opens with like two or three pages of text setting up the story of their world before we get you know i've seen some trailers that had a full 30 seconds of um fluff before we got to gameplay you need to ha see the gameplay in the first three seconds of, of your trailer so that you you know what you're looking at. Mm. Um, there's no point. Nobody wants to watch 30 seconds of uh, lore build up to uh, and then find out that it's a bullet hell shooter if they were expecting an RPG. Yeah, totally. yeah it's, it's like if you don't know, you don't look at the game go and, and that's almost kind of sad because it means if you come up with something completely new because you're going to have difficulty <laughs> it's like um, you want you want to produce something new that the market wants but you want it to be similar and familiar enough to stuff that's already out there so exactly. that people can can link it to a pleasant experience previously so that they yeah. go out and buy it which is yeah which is an interesting one 
but yeah so i i think those are the two the two easiest ways to fail i think is no no marketing at all and make it really difficult for people to know what the what the game is what the actual like yeah so right we're back to we're back to the usp there again is the the key thing with the with the marketing side of things is that is the point where you are having to sell your usp to the customers and you you have to uh make sure that they understand what the usp that they're buying is Mm. Uh, and there's a multitude of ways that you can you can fail that so um yeah i either not marketing it nobody sees it poor communication of it and people do see it but they don't understand it um and yeah there's uh i mean there, there are um i guess just sorry just uh jumping back this is more of a development thing you can get core elements of the gameplay wrong um recent example of that is uh the uh new uh dungeons and dragons dark alliance game um which looked great but uh reviews that i've seen i haven't played it myself i'll uh, be honest but the reviews that i've seen have highlighted some significant issues with the ai and the gameplay um uh and those seem like that is elements of the game that that needed to be properly working in order for the game to function as a game um and it's a real shame because the everything else about it like the art is great the level design looks cool the characters are um you know really appealing it's got a very um it's well presented but there are some fundamental flaws with um some of like the like attacks um always assuming that you're on a flat for example so like you you do like an area attack and it attacks everything on your level it doesn't attack anything that's like a few steps down from you (laughs) that is more of a, a development uh failure um but once you've got if you if you finish the game and it has issues like that in it which are arguably just bugs uh that can torpedo your game uh because then you you're pitching a prospect and you can get a whole bunch of people buying the game and then being unhappy with it and then we're back to the situation with no man's sky or cyberpunk where people built bought into the hype and they were engaged and then when they actually got to play the game you've lost them Mm. um and that's when you get refunds and uh bad reviews and that negatively impacts on on sales again oh yeah and your Uh, reputation really does no makes sense um right so we've got 10 minutes left so the one thing i I wanted to talk about was and and this is a bit usually a bit of an after a fault but um the follow-up so because because a lot of people uh, when you're developing, you'd often think of um, once you've published it and people have purchased it, as that's the end. Great, you can go on and do your next project, or you can you can move it on. Used to be. <laughs> um, but now, what we there's there's now like games don't die anymore. I mean, well, 
lots of games do die, but uh, there is this huge sort of follow-up thing. I, I think we're talking about No Man's Sky is, is, a, is a sort of great example of a game that you could consider, I, I would have probably have considered a failure at launch, even though it was financially successful. Um, that was, um, uh, which was, uh, I want to say reclaimed, but uh, I think, um, oh, there's a better word than that. But uh, it, it was, it, they, they clawed it back through the follow-up. Um, so, uh, and I suppose what the, the things that, if you mess up your follow-up, the things that will happen to you is you, your, your reputation would suffer. Um, mm. I don't think you wouldn't get any many more future sales. But my impression is, is the majority of the sales come is like 80% of the sales come in the first sort of release usually. I mean, actually, you've got more experience of this. Is... Yeah, usually you get a big launch spike, uh, followed by like a, a, a long tail that decays off. And then every time there's a, like a sale, then you get another spike as people who uh, didn't buy it at launch, but were interested, mm. will suddenly then pick it up when it's on sale. Um, and also because the process of putting it on sale um, makes it more visible in the stores. So people will be reminded that sort of like, oh, yeah, that game exists. Yeah, or the wish lists that you'll get, you'll get pings. Everywhere. Exactly. Yeah, the, there's there's a whole bunch of tools there mm. uh, that mm. are designed to um, remind players who were interested in a particular game that, uh, that they could buy it, um, but yeah, it, it, it's a it's a tricky one. I mean, that's one that I'm a little bit less familiar with. I'll be honest, because I have um, it's only really in the last decade or so where community management has been so critical uh, to a game because uh, people fans of a game will talk to each other and they they talk about the game um one of the w weird things is nowadays is that uh, you will find that there are always people playing your game who are better at it than you are um even as a developer of the game because they have just invested like hours and hours and hours into playing your game um and uh they they find like exploits and, and things like that because they're not thinking about the same things that you are when you're when you're playing the game uh as a developer when you're playing the game you're thinking about how you want it to work so you are trying to um tweak the like balance the game balance the like the level designs the enemy placement and so on to create the experience that you're after whereas players don't have those preconceptions they will come in they will play the game that is there not what you intended to be there and therefore they will find um little exploits and quirks and stuff like that and then you get speedrunners who are looking specifically for ways to um uh like get past bits of gameplay quickly and and uh get through things so the, the whole community aspect uh, of games has become much more important uh, recently. So you have to pay attention to what people are saying 
in the community. I think that... Okay. don't necessarily need to do everything that they ask for. <laughs> uh, I think I think that's where it's interesting because it, it, it's almost the community and the follow-up is almost part of marketing, I feel now. You're the the sort of the amount that you are willing to engage with the community and the amount that you're willing to refine and improve your game post post release is kind of what will give it some longevity and allow you the opportunities for something that happens like uh, Among Us. Like, I, I, if that game, if they'd given up on that game yeah, and then just sort of abandoned it, I mean, I actually don't know, but I, I presume they'd, they'd continue to put love into the community and uh, put love into the game uh, uh, post the, the initial release. And then at one point they got lucky. But I, I know that a lot of the successful games uh, are, I mean, especially if it becomes a uh, a running sort of like a trilogy and you get sequels and stuff like that, a, a lot of that success would be built out of the community management. And so if your first game isn't a success, your ability to, to maintain your customers and and like, yeah. like Slay the Spire, were in, did incredible stuff with their community. They all, all throughout. They were the two people who did it. They they were. I think one of them was a product manager from Amazon who was just like customer fo excessively customer focused, and and they worked with a card game community. I've forgotten what the card game was, but it was a, a futuristic card game. Um, Oh, I can't remember it, but they were very, very. They worked alongside the community throughout. They kept giving them new stuff. They, 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 they did brilliant, and and that is what made what I consider one of my favorite games and one of one of the most successful sort of relatively small teams, uh, sort of really focused on on what was important to make the game good the graphics was really paired back the 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 primary game loop is brilliant it's really replayable and if they bought out slay the spire 2 it would be a massive success or if they bought out something which fed into that audience and so i i think i mean like you said with um assassin's creed it was the second game where it really started to become a uh, it really got into its own. I, I, I think the follow-up is what can really make a game in a community and can turn just a game into to a, a huge success. In, in my I think it's a it's an ongoing struggle though because an, another good example um, of this is Mass Effect Three, uh, where there was a massive backlash uh, in the community to the end of the game. Um, and again, now I, th I think that that was a bit of a design misstep because the entire trilogy was all about um, showing you how your choices affected the universe uh, and so on. Even though, as a developer, I, I recognise that the a lot of the core storyline is pretty linear, and there's a bunch of peripheral um dressing options that you can choose to so you can save you can save one species or you can save another species you can get characters to join you and so on. you feel like the 
state of the universe reflects your choices, although they are mostly cosmetic and don't affect the core plot line so much um, until the end. But right at the end of Mass Effect 3, where they had to finish everything off, um, there was an ending where basically you had to pick three different endings and and that was it. And basically the veil of agency dropped for a moment and players could see that all of the choices that they'd made so far were basically being disregarded in favour of this final selection of which end sequence do you want to see. And that undercut their entire experience of the trilogy, which is why there was such a backlash. Now, whether... Uh, um, sorry, uh, Bioware obviously felt that they had to keep the community on side, and so they patched the game with a slightly different ending. It's debatable whether that was the right choice or not. I, I think it, it did kind of make... Uh, some people happier with <coughs> the ending but it, it's a difficult choice whether if when the community are screaming for something sometimes they they are calling out something that that does need correcting sometimes they're just reacting to something that just hasn't been correctly communicated or you know expectations that were un, not managed no man's sky for example that's a good example of uh, they built up a massive community that were expecting something that was like Mass Effect, but procedurally generated. Um, and then they were disappointed when it felt a little bit more um, kind of like repetitive resource gathering because that that was the, the core loop of the game. Um, and I think the, the problem there was... Um, mismanaged expectations but then they fixed it by adding in all of the stuff that had been expected into no man's sky now that is an extremely expensive fix um for uh for like a a, a community expectations uh problem hmm. um but uh that in in that case it was very successful and i think that the mass effect 3 tweaks to the ending were partially successful because to, to me all the, all the three examples that we've mentioned there are, are basically that they've said something and they, they promised something in their marketing which um, they haven't delivered on so rather than being follow up because no man's mm. eye they, they promised I got the impression of Mass Effect, procedurally generated Mass Effect, this crazy world where everything mattered, and I got a rather bad resource gathering game. Um, side, uh, what was the other one we were talking about there? The, um, Mass Effect? Uh, so, yeah, so Mass Effect. The, the promise that, I mean, if you've ever done any trying to organize or, or if you've been around and looked at a lot of these games, you know that the choices really got to the problem is is you can't have a brilliant storyline and something that's procedurally generated because in order to write a very tailored storyline it's got to be relatively linear and mm -hmm. if you've got something that's all wild and every choice you matter things then you'll end up with a story which 
is going to be pretty random and may or may. I mean, there there are some games that uh, people say that they make relatively good stories, but it, it, it's not going to be um, uh, Sherlock Holmes, or it's not going to be a complicated plot where everything falls into place. If every one of your decisions really is i mean the most you can hope for is two or three plot lines and then mm-hmm. one's going to be better than the other one so it's uh so i i think all of those examples to me seem to come from misadvertising rather than sort of the follow-up we mean what we're saying here is the the attempt to fulfill their mismarketing I mean, it goes into the follow-up, has, has cost them a lot of money, and in some cases probably hasn't actually pleased as many people as they've, like, how many people? The thing about Mass Effect is it's quite famous that they promised that you could have all of these different endings, but then they looked at what people actually did. 99% of the people did all the good things, uh, and nobody actually went and did all the nasty things. Uh, and so you, you only kind of needed to write that one. The, the, there was an almost, with every sort of speech thing, there was almost an 80% answer that everyone gave every single yeah. time. So it's sort of, I mean, unless you replay it to see what the other things are to do, um, then I, the perception that your choices matter are almost more important than them actually mattering absolutely Um, that's the thing and but similarly with everything else in games um it's all smoke and mirrors um the perception that the characters in the world are um real people uh with agency and so on is more important than them actually being genuinely um correctly modeled um, artificially intelligent entities uh, so you will always feel that um, characters with uh, sort of like well-written lines performed by a good voice actor that's always going to feel more compelling uh, to a player than uh, AI agents that are doing a lot more thinking under the bonnet but if you can't tell that what they're thinking, totally, yeah, you, it's not perceived. Um, you know, the same goes for you know. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to get into sort of like uh, a whole kind of like um, uh, choice in games um, uh, discussion, but yeah, it's all to do with what you're pitching to the um, uh, to your customers and uh, what they are uh, getting from it. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting to see what the community wants. In in some cases, um, the community will be feeding back about a game because they've really enjoyed it. So, and they they're clamouring for something, um, either something like more of the same, um, or they've they've got an I- ideas that might improve it because uh, when you get a big community around a game you will generally develop a consensus about what the, um, the the high points and the low points of that game are. Mm. So 
it's worth listening to the community to find out what people see as the high points and the low points and then decide whether you know whether you want to do anything about that um obviously as game designers we know that like what the community suggests that you should do is not necessarily the right thing because you quite i quite often seen suggestions from communities where they've said sort of like why don't you just um do this that would improve the game and it won't work because they have not um fact they have not factored in all of the side effects of the change that they're suggesting uh so the change that they're suggesting it would fix the the one thing that they're thinking about but it would have side effects on other parts of the game that would break things um there's a lot of moving parts in games and that that is why designers need to be uh constantly sort of like tweaking things and things change during game development uh <laughs> so so our advice is for follow-up do and don't listen to your audience <laughs> exactly yes. no. do listen do listen don't just obey yes <laughs> um, your, your customers are not your game designers <laughs> your game designers can listen to the customers and and bear that in mind when they're looking at patching the game and so on and sometimes there are um i mean quite often if the community have identified something that they don't like a good designer will be able to uh make some um careful tweaks that will mitigate those those problems without necessarily doing a complete overhaul of everything that that the community might suggest also if you if you get user testing early then mm. you can you can get rid of a lot of this feedback <laughs> while while it's still cheap and you're still in the development phase and yeah without the bad reviews so it goes back to everything else get a good concept yeah. get a the size of the game correct so that you can finish it listen yeah. get testers is everything so follow-up is probably yeah it's um and don't lie in your marketing <laughs> so that, that's don't, it. don't overhype and over promise well i mean that's basically what focus testing is it you are paying for a little community to review your game and tell you what they think um uh so that you have a chance to um to make those tweaks and adjustments before it actually goes out in the wild and you start getting reviews and because you can you only get one chance to make a first impression so although you you can recover like no man's sky and maybe to some extent cyberpunk um, it's better if you can solve those problems beforehand and so the first impression works. Mm, totally. Right. <clears throat> well, I think we will bring that to a, to a hold there. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been a pleasure to you as, as usual. Um, and thank you everyone for listening. Please click on the links below and uh, subscribe and um, so, uh, and we are all visit us at Game Dev London and we are also on Discord. Yeah, cover everything. Thank you.